and welcome to Housewives and Me, a podcast about why we love the real housewives. I'm your host, Connor Bean, and you're very welcome back for a brand new episode and our first one in a little while because obviously we had that break, so we're back renewed, refreshed. We visited New York. We thought about moving there. We've put it on the list of things to sort out in the next few months, but I'm very excited to be back having the Housewives chats on this podcast. And I'm so excited to bring more great interviews to you over the next few months and get into all the big Housewives shows that are coming away. Atlanta, Beverly Hills, Dubai. It is all happening. Today, we're back with a bang with a returning guest I've wanted to have back on the show for ages. The one and only Evan Rothskatz is here. Of course, the host of the amazing podcast, Shut Up Evan. He is a writer, a journalist, one of my favorite interviewers in general, I must say. And his new book, Into Every Generation, A Slayer Is Born, How Buffy Staked Her Hearts, is now out now here in Ireland and the UK. It's been out in the US for a few weeks as well. So if you're a Buffy fan, you need to check that out. And even if you're not I think it's worth a look because Evan is just one of those people who analyzes pop culture in such a great way and today I somehow managed to combine Housewives and Buffy for some very interesting questions that I think will appeal to you even if you've never watched Buffy. So let me get the talking out of the way and get straight to the good stuff. Here is Evan Ross Katz on Housewives and Me. My guest today is a writer, the host of the amazing podcast, Shut Up Evan, and the author of the brand new book, Into Every Generation, A Slayer Is Born, How Buffy Stoked Her Hurts, which is out now wherever you get your books. Evan Ross Katz, welcome back to Housewives and Me. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited because I was checking, you know, getting ready for the interview. I was like, when did I last speak to Evan for the podcast? Because I chat to you in DMs. I was like, has it been that long? And it was January of last year when we spoke. And I feel like the Housewives universe has changed so much, even in just a year and a half. So much. How do you feel about, like, Housewives in general right now? Do you feel like we're on an upswing? Do you think the franchise is feeling fresh? Like, how? I mean, I know we're all obsessed still, but, like, what is your vibe with it at the moment? I'm not vibing so much, but that said, mm-hmm. I never, like, have the inclination to stop watching. Like, I'm fully yeah. in it. I, I'm not jumping ship. I believe you said this when you were on Come Through Queen, but I I agree with you when you said that you're kind of enjoying OC. Was was I right? That's Mm -hmm. what I heard? Yeah. Yes, you heard right. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm definitely enjoying OC. I feel like OC has not quite found its footing, but it's definitely on an upswing. And like, you definitely feel like there are like puzzle pieces in place. We just Mm -hmm. haven't quite found where they go, but like, I, I feel it coming together. And I think that if we can get Tamara back or like, if a few more adjustments can be made, we can we can get back in a good place. And I do think that's a signal to the franchise, like the franchise of Real Housewives at large, which is to say that like you can shuffle the deck and make it work again. And I mean, obviously, I think we saw that in New York with season five. But I have to say, like this last season of Salt Lake City was really difficult to watch, especially the back half. I just there was a, a an exhaustion that I think I and many others mm. were feeling. And then I wasn't terribly jazzed by the Beverly Hills trailer, but I oh. I saw a lot of people that were, and so and, and I will say I don't I don't really formulate opinions too much based off of trailers, so we'll see. And then Jersey's never really been my my franchise, so Jersey exists. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love that. It, well, it exists. That's true shade. It's finest. So let's chat about some of those shows then. So you met, I think you and I are on a, a similar wavelength where we're enjoying this OC season, even if some people are like not so hot in it. Like you said, I think it's, they're slowly ramping up to like, I think what could be a huge next season potentially. But the Noella of it all, I, I mean, I've... 
the more this goes on, the more I'm starting to root for her, even though she's sort of a bit of a messy character. Where do you stand on the Noella Heather sort of uh, locking of heads or knocking of heads? I mean, it's made for some good television. I think the tricky thing with Noella is that you need an ally in the game or else it doesn't work. I mean, look what happened with LVP towards the tail end of Beverly Hills. And so I think mm-hmm. for Noella, she joined this show inorganically. And then on top of all of that, she wasn't able to form strong bonds. You even get the sense there's that one scene in the latest episode where she's like talking to Shannon and you can even see Shannon turning around several times to try and re-engage with the other ladies, which is to say that like, I think it takes a lot of brain power for Shannon to engage with Noella. And I think she reaches a point Hmm. where she's like, okay, like I want to have fun. I'm here on vacation. You're not giving that vibe. So I think with Noella, it's it's not that it's not working, but it's that she needs more allies in the fight and it doesn't seem like she's building them. And uh, her brand of crazy, I think, needs a little bit more gradation, which is to say that like hmm. I want more like lucid moments from her so that the crazy moments feel more earned. I think that's why people love Shannon the way that they do is that like amidst all of the kooky, crazy Shannon, you also got these moments of like, her just being, you know, a, a woman in an, an abusive relationship with a man that she was trying to make it work for so long and mm. trying to raise her kids and have it all. Whereas with Noella, it's like you don't sort of see that aspiration towards normalcy. That's such a good way of putting it. I, but I do find you mentioned her kind of lucid moments. And I do find, ironically, she's at her most lucid when she's like kind of, I guess, standing off with Heather, even just trying right. to like sort of take out of the task, which I think is fascinating because Heather is as alpha she may be she does seem like far less crazy in general so i'm it's funny seeing that side of noella come out in that context right and like i definitely could see a noella return but like i said it's like i think she would need a real friend to help sort of center her because when you see these moments that are i guess you could say they're four on two but i don't really see shannon as being really with her so they tend to feel more like four on one with shannon just sort of on the sidelines it's not yeah. really satisfying. And it's like right now, it's like you've got Heather, the biggest dog, and then you got Gina and Emily. And then um, who's Ryan's wife? Um, <laughs> Dr. Jen. I'm Dr. the only Jen. time she's ever been called Ryan's wife. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> Dr. Jen maybe comes in occasionally. Um, but yeah, so, and, and also too, I mean, you know, we're looking ahead at Beverly Hills, which is going to have, what, eight full-times and two friend-ofs. This OC yeah. season, I'm not a fan of a six-wife setup. I like a seven-wife at minimum. And so I definitely mm-hmm. feel like there's a character missing right now, which is why I was so surprised when they announced the return of Heather that it wasn't accompanied by Tamara. I really felt like that was such a natural thing to bring Tamara back a fan demanded but b just because her and heather have maintained this friendship through the years i mean heather speaks about her friendship with Tamara often on her podcast so i'm hopeful that we're like you know on an upswing towards something that you know come season what we're in 15 now so i think 16 is it 15 now am i right i think so i, I think, think we're 16 it's all it's blurring together right so i mean we're at that like. point right <laughs> well whatever when the next season comes around i do think that like we can get it fully fully together and do you think heather has had a triumphant return do you think she's the villain is i mean maybe it's more nuanced than that well it's interesting because like Heather's return reminds me in a sense of Dina's return on Jersey in that it's Mm -hmm. like a little bit different than like a Bethany or a Nini or a Kenya or a Sheree return where it's like, this is a 
huge character outside of Housewives, like returning. Like mm. people were brought back to watch Housewives because of Bethany coming back or because of Nini. Whereas I think Heather's a very in-world character. Mind you, yes. she's a big in-world character, but like I don't think Heather Dubrow is like a breakout in the way that like other returnees have been. That's why I compare her to like Adina. So yeah. I don't think the expectations for me were that strong in the sense of like, I don't know what I thought Heather's return was going to bring about. Whereas like, you know, looking to Atlanta right now, we all know what a charade return means, right? Like it, it, sig yeah. it signals a lot of like, for me, it signals an uh, uptick in quality, but also it's just like, you you know charade well enough to know what she brings to the table. With Heather, I know that she brings wealth and, and, and you know, class and whatnot. Um, but I didn't mm -hmm. know really know what that meant in terms of the dynamic for the women. The other thing too, mind you, is that again, to make the Bethany or Nini comparison, they were coming back to familiar faces. It was an odd time to bring Heather back in that she only has a connection to one housewife on the show. And it's not even yeah. like a strong connection. Whereas I think one of the most exciting things about having Bethany come back in season seven was how much it made Lou and Ramona in particular shake in their boots I, I sort of missed that. So it's like, I just don't think Heather was like the most exciting person to bring back given the climate. That's why I think her return needed to be paired with another returnee. You mentioned earlier that New Jersey's not your favorite and that it, quote, exists. <laughs> what do you make? I mean, are you following this season closely? Are you getting anything from it? I mean, there seems to be this conversation again about the show, like, is it just the Teresa show? And I'm sort of personally a little bit in two minds about that conversation because she's such an OG, but also I do think at times she personally, I think she might be dragging down the proceedings a tiny, a tiny bit. Without a doubt. And I do get a little bit uncomfortable with Gia getting in the mix because I mm. think that, and you know, obviously we've had this before with um, Vicky's daughter, whose name is slipping my mind right now. It starts with the uh, Brianna. Yeah. <clears throat> we've had this before, but I think Brianna felt like because we met Brianna I think that the tail end of high school, like she always felt like somewhat of an adult to us. Whereas like with Gia, it's and the rest of yeah. these daughters, it's like we know them as like little, little girls. And obviously little girls grow up and become adults. But I still think it's sort of odd. Like, is, you know, she's getting a confessional at one minute. But like, it, so, it, you know, is she to be viewed as another housewife, you know, ostensibly? Or is she Teresa's daughter? And I think it's hard to be both. Um I think for me, what I've always sort of craved from Jersey that it has not given since maybe like the the Danielle, um, the Danielle days, like Danielle part one days, um, maybe a little bit more into like Kathy Wakili, but it's like, I like hijinks and I just don't think outside of Dolores, um, this cast is really capable of like true, like just like a scene by themselves doing stuff. You know, I mean, yeah. for all that, I know we can talk a lot of shit about Ramona, for instance. But one thing about yeah. Ramona is it's like you can get a scene of Ramona cleaning up her apartment or Lou. I mean, this is, I think, one of the th things that makes New York so good or Kelly Benson yeah. or Alex. It's like they are just interesting with cameras up on them and them alone. And I feel like, you know, particularly with like Melissa Gorga, for instance, it's like I am not hankering to, to find out what Melissa Gorga is up to on the show or any <laughs> given moment in life. But, 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 all that Sorry. said, like, I still watch it. I am yeah. not 
bored by it. And something that Dan and Brendan say on Come Through Queen about Jersey, which I am fully aligned with, is it's like there's an easy breeziness about Jersey, both in the fact that they keep the seasons really short and sort of like it's sort of the drama seems to uh, be very contained in a way that I think is effective for the franchise. I think just for me personally, it's like I these wives I like I like a little bit more kooky in my housewife. Yeah, I think the fact that they're slightly more traditional and a little bit more not I don't know if it's reserved, but you're right. They don't lean into the silliness the way other shows will quite as easily, which is why sometimes I appreciate Margaret because as much as she's in in the thick of it with Teresa now and that's become almost physical in a way in recent episodes, I think Margaret at least has a kooky quality that the show sometimes is missing. She does, but when we had, there was that recent episode um, when Tracy tried to arrange the, you know, the in the thing in the woods, the the, um, the climbing thing. The, yeah, <laughs> whatever that <laughs> was. Two outdoor, outdoor gays we are not. We're like the thing. In yeah, the woods yeah, the, yeah, the ropes, <laughs> and it was hanging from the tree. Um, and Margaret in that scene, it felt a little bit um, like she was acting. Like it just felt like she recognized that I don't know. I feel like with these women in particular, there's an understanding that they need to bring the drama. And so I feel like the veneer is a little bit more visible on Jersey. Like for instance, yeah. with Melissa last season with the salad, um, and she like, <laughs> was it salad or cheese board or whatever it was? It was when a she, cheese board. How that's dare what it was. She ruined okay. perfectly good cheese board. <laughs> okay. That to me was an example of like what very much felt like, them like the cast of New Jersey being more students of housewives than actual housewives. Um, and so in you know, in the scene with that that jungle gym or whatever, it just felt like I get it, everyone's like on 100, but I didn't get like why we were at 100, and it very much felt like let's get together and have a scene where we all explode at each other. Yeah, I think I'm enjoying this season, and as you said, I like the relatively shorter season that Jersey does because I think they hit the ground running. But at times, it, this season has felt a little bit like they're spinning wheels, and I don't know if it's just they're all afraid of Teresa or there's not enough going on. But that is a good point. I'm curious, though. You know, moving ahead, um, hmm. if they you know retooled the show at all, because we have gotten several seasons now. The cast remains unchanged. And so I'm curious sort of yeah. like, as they look ahead, how they're thinking about it moving forward, because I think we've exhausted a lot of the storylines on Jersey. And also I will say too, I just have been a little dissatisfied with Jen on the show because I just don't feel like I have any sense of who Jen is. And I'm not necessarily saying that's Jen's fault, but mm-hmm. I feel like the show, and this is less her and more the show really like wants us to feel like she is very weak and very fragile. And we've gotten times where they've really leaned into trying to paint her as an alcoholic. Um, and, and then other times we sort of get very lucid Jen when she's talking about, you know, the issues with her parents, um, or, you know, with her brother, for instance. And I, so I Mm. guess I just get confused about like who, who is Jen and how does she fit into this show? Like I, I, she very much feels like, an outsider. I know she's aligned with Teresa and Dolores a little bit, but that more feels like by convenience than it does. You know, I just don't get the sense Jen is like hanging out with these girls when they're not filming. Yeah, that's true. And it's funny because there's moments where Jen is very real and like lucid in a way I just find really endearing. And there's times where she just becomes 
bit of an asshole in a way that's not fun to watch. And so it's funny. She seems to inhabit like almost two different roles on the show, depending on, um, I'm sure, what production or the editors want her to take up. Right. And when I, th- there's times with Jersey 2 where I have, I have trouble following like the, the nuances of the plot, but there was the whole thing, again, when they were on that jungle gym, where it's like, <laughs> where Jen insinuated something to Margaret that was throwing Teresa under the bus. And like, I couldn't follow um, mm. that plot line. And, and so, yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm curious to see where, where Jersey goes, but as much as I'm like met about it, there have been seasons of other franchises that I like that I've been like distinctly anti. So I would say like, I'm very just in the middle with Jersey, but I don't, I don't not hate watching Jersey. You mentioned Beverly Hills in passing there. Obviously, we've had a big trailer for that recently. And the cast, as you said, is huge this year. And something I'm finding interesting about Beverly Hills, and it's not exclusive to them, but I feel like they are indulging in it a lot, is social media drama, both about stuff that yes. has been filmed and we won't see for months. And even them playing out things now, like, for example, Erica throwing Garcelle's book in a bin and saying, I know you'll see this even though you don't follow me, etc. Like, stuff that is, in one way, juicy and ridiculous and over the top, but also... Personally, I'm finding this social media stuff with the show almost distracting from the show and my enjoyment of it when it airs. I'm curious, as someone like yourself, someone like me who's very online and sees all this stuff, how you feel about Beverly Hills using social media for hype, I guess, before we see it. Well, it's something that I read. I think Lewis Peitzman said this on Twitter the other day, and I found myself mm-hmm. snapping my fingers, which was that <laughs> it's not a good sign when you see this much sort of like plot playing out on social media. Because it mm. signals to the real Bravoholics out there, like ourselves, that they're needing to put this out now and sort of like yes. put a smoke signal out. And it's like, I, I'm i looking for fire. I'm not looking for smoke. Does that make sense? And so it's sort of like, Absolutely. it's a yeah. little, it's not that it's not exciting. I mean, there have been some moments that I've like, you know, that make me curious about what will happen. But it's sort of just like, it, it feels like they're like, you know, shooting their load a little early and it's like just I want them to trust in the season that they shot and not feel the need to sort of like um you know amp us all up it's like it, we're, we we're here we had we came off of a great last season i think they yeah. lost a little bit of momentum by making the reunion four parts i think it sort of um was a little indulgent but like we are here we definitely feel like we're in a renaissance with beverly hills so why this need to start things? And also, I just don't really love um, when there's a feud like, the, you know, the current one with Garcelle and Erica, where it's like, we left things in a good place and we have yet to see anything from the new season, but we're sort of being preempted to the fact that like Garcelle yeah. and Erica are going to hate each other this season. And it's like, I don't get the impression that they hate each other. I think that they're just coworkers who recognize that, People need to fight, and so they're going to fight. Like, it doesn't feel... I don't know. I guess we'll watch the season and find out, but it's like, this feels a little... um, A little, you know, acted. It's funny, too, because, like, Erica Jane will, like, disappear from social media and come back and basically claim that the whole show was about her. And I'm like, as you said, it's a cast of, like, 10 people, so it's clearly not. And also you know, we still haven't seen how you come off this season. And to me, it feels like she is either doing damage control or trying to like get ahead of the story. And it's like, we're so far out for the reunion that it's like, what's the point in you starting this beef with someone when there's going to be months between any real resolution for us as viewers. Right. So I'm, I'm really curious to see also being that it's like, we have, as, as we were saying earlier, 10 
wives in the mix. It's I'm curious to see how things will unfold. And also I'm curious, like, are we doing a plotless Kyle season? I mean, obviously we saw that there's a little bit something brewing with her and Kathy and Rinna mm. and everything, but that felt way more Kathy and Rinna centric than it did Kyle. It felt more like cut to Kyle for her shocked face reaction. Um, but I'm just curious uh, what's happening with Kyle. And then uh, also Dorit outside of um, the burglary, you know, are we doing another sort of, yeah. uh, you know, Buca de Beppo or like what, what's, what's happening with Dorit. So I feel like <laughs> they really lucked out with Sutton and Garcelle in that they like got, the, and it reminds me of Dorinda in season seven where it's like, they got these new people and Crystal too. They got these new people that came in and sort of have like carried the show forward and allowed the like vets to sort of like lean back. And I'm excited that it seems like Rinna is really woken up uh, this season um, yeah. and recognize the fact that like she wants to be one of like the main players and not fall back. So there's a lot of dynamics. There's a lot of real friendships. I think one of the best things about Beverly Hills is the fact that you do get the impression and you actually, you yeah. also get it confirmed via social media that these women hang out outside of the show. They run into each other. They have similar circles. And I think that's one of the best things about Beverly Hills. Yeah, and I think that is actually what will keep me, obviously, I'll watch it regardless, but that is what's drawing me the most to this new season. That's why I'm trying to tune out some of the, and as much as I like Rinna, and I'm actually, I felt like we get both shitster Rinna, and we might get to see kind of maybe the softer side, because obviously she went through a very big loss while filming the show, but I don't love sometimes the like, oh, I'm I'm indirectly referring to something on a text post on my Instagram story. I'm like, stop. You don't need to do this every 10 seconds. She like, loves that. And she loves like yeah. the, uh, I just, whenever I see a text post from her on story, I'm always just like, what we is go. This, what's this one up to? It's like that one friend in the group chat who's always been like, I don't want to talk about it. And you're like, but you do want to talk about it. You, you do want to talk exactly. about it. Like, and then it's like, they're like, wait, you see like the bubbles pop up and it's like, they keep typing and it's like, okay, okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Like, Lisa Rinna is typing. You're like, here we go. Okay. Here we go. Um, you mentioned Salt Lake City earlier and how it was kind of a bit of a slog to watch the second season in the end. Like, what do you think about, we know that they're filming a third season and they're probably quite far along in filming a third season. What do you think will maybe fix some of the things that went a bit astray by the tail end of season two? You know, I, I'm not sure, but this, it's like, this is a subject that I would like, I would listen to like, 20 hours of podcasting with like people prognosticating <laughs> about how to fix Salt Lake City because yes. I don't have the answer, but I am very intrigued by the conversation. I just think that, and again, I'm not, I'm not so sure on this, but I, I get the sense that it's missing grounding forces. I think when you look at like, you think about a Bethany or you think about a Caroline Manzo is another great example yeah. of like these forces that come in and you as the audience member I don't know if relate to is necessarily what I'm thinking of, but like you, you have an intrinsic connection to them. They feel very tethered to the now. I think part of the reason why like the Danielle versus Caroline was so exciting because it was like sanity versus insanity, which was like a really, mm -hmm. you know, a fun dynamic with Salt Lake. Yes, I guess you, I could hear the argument that Heather gay possesses that quality to an extent, but then yeah. you see her behavior at the reunions, for instance, and you're like, she's as yeah. big of a Martian as the rest of these ladies. <laughs> like she's, yes. and like Heather is interesting because it's like, she's both like the Bravo-holic and the housewife, which is 
sometimes an interesting sort of um, dichotomy, but other times I'm just sort of like, I think it ends up getting, it becomes so homogenous that it's like, I, I get lost. I just don't really, uh, I don't know what's going on at all. And one thing that I really don't like that I think Housewives has overplayed is the idea of the best friendship disillusion. I think like the Bethany Jill thing was so real and so raw and there have been other times that it's been real and it's been raw i mean like you look at like kim and nini that was definitely a mm. real friendship that fell apart but i think like in the case of like vanderpump and uh, uh and kyle it's like i didn't want to see that friendship end i like them so much more as friends or mm -hmm. um phaedra candy i mean obviously that ended in a very real way but it's like i just i like when best friends on these shows get along without it ever mm. like having to like i feel like it's just such a trope now of the show where it's like the best friends are having the season where they don't get along uh nini and yeah. and, and uh uh oh my god cynthia there's so many housewives now it's like so hard to keep names i know um, and you're like rupaul you're like which one are you again you one season which was it okay. exactly yeah. that's why yeah. i feel like giselle and karen are such a refreshing dynamic because like they're open about the fact that like they are frenemies they both acknowledge yes. it they recognize it and they they continue on that path and i just so anyway so with salt lake city it's like with meredith and lisa it's like we got one season of them being like we're best friends. We've known each other for so many years. I was at the bar mitzvah of this of Brooks, etc. But then it's like we fucking hate each other, and it's like okay, <laughs> I, I don't. It just felt very unearned. And in my mind, it's like if I have a, a fight with a best friend of mine, I wake up the next morning and it's like I'm doing everything I can to get things back on track, but neither yeah. of them seem to like care about their friendship. Like, so again, I just, I'm very confused by a lot of the, the dynamics who gets along. Everyone loves Jen Shaw, except for Meredith, who's mad at Jen, but then they resolve things and they still don't seem to be friends. I'm just kind of confused. I think you're sorry with the grounding force because we've got some great broad, very almost wacky characters that are fun to watch, but they need like an Eileen Davidson or a Cynthia Bailey just to sort of, and I don't think it is Heather because as you say, there is actually a slight nasty streak to heather which can be fun to watch in a sort of oh that's a surprise but it means she's not the grounding force because you know eileen davidson and cynthia bailey may have been a bit boring for some viewers but you never felt like they were mean even when they maybe misjudged the room you never felt a kind of a streak cut through in my opinion anyway right so i guess i just i i don't really know how to retool things i also feel like it's just sort of missing plot because i think we were all expecting the Jen Shaw legal drama to sort of be the guiding force mm. of like the seasonal arc of the show, much as it was the case with Erica and Beverly Hills. But as we saw, like after the, the um, bus ride or the, or the van, Jen's legal drama did not play out on the show. We got one scene with her meeting, you know, with the attorney, but it really was not at the center of this season whatsoever. And so I think there was a sense of an expectation that was not quite met around this season. And as a result, it sort of became what what's going on? Like, you know, and then I also think it's messy too when it's like, you know, you look at everything happening with Jenny and then with Mary, and it's like you have Mary being racist towards Jenny. And then you have Jenny being racist towards an entire group of people. And it's sort of, so it's just mm. like, the, you know, they always say it's like the enemy of my, wait, the enemy of my friend is my, 
the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think right. But in this, it? but in this show, it's just like, everyone's a goddamn enemy. It's like, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you don't know where to turn. I think the only yeah. sort of person from the show who seems, um, somewhat, you know, redeeming is Whitney. And also not for nothing. Whitney was one of the only people to call out Mary, um, in the finale over, you know, the, the her racism towards Jenny, but it's just like one of those things where it's like, here is Bravo trying to retool these shows by infusing more Housewives of Color into all these franchises to course correct on the overwhelming whiteness of these series. And then they come in and it's like uh, the two of the POC cast members on this show are racist, one of whom was fired and the other whom the other quit. So it's yeah. just like, and again, it's not Bravo's fault per se, but I just think it signals a sort of like, something something ain't right i don't know what it is but it's like yeah i don't know if it's a matter of casting but it's like it's just it's unfortunate i think that's the word that it's like this effort to bring about more change you had what happened with tiffany moon and then dallas mm -hmm. not getting picked up obviously everyone knows what happened with ebony in new york it's like the only real success story we've seen with this has been beverly hills thankfully and i think i think it's so great that audiences seem to love Garcelle and Crystal so much. And Garcelle is so central to the Renaissance of Beverly Hills, but I'm just not sure what Salt Lake city uh, does moving forward. Or I'm not even sure if they're having conversations around the need to retool it. I, I I'm not sure. We do have a new housewives show coming this summer. We have Royal housewives of Dubai, which is being paired with Beverly Hills and on the schedule in the U S as well, which I think is sort of that feels significant as well. I mean, have you heard anything about what that show might be like to watch? Do you have any hopes or aspirations for it? It's certainly, from the one promo we've seen, it certainly seems glamorous at the very least, even though I have my reservations about a show set in Dubai personally. But anyway. Well, I'm really, I mean, I think I am aligned with many people out there who are very excited to see Caroline Sandberry back. Ladies of London season two is like one of my favorite seasons of a Bravo show. And... Caroline can really hold her own. I I do worry a little bit about Caroline, like her being coming out a little too, like too hot out the gate. It's like how I feel about the possibility of like a Jill, Jill Zarin return on New York, which is like, I want it so bad in theory, but also like I can tell that they want it so bad, they being Jill and, and for yes, New York and Caroline yes, for, for this, yes. that it's like, I just hope she doesn't, amp up the things that we like about her. Cause I think what we liked about Caroline was that authenticity. And so I just, I look at like the new young husband and everything. And I, I worry that it's going to be like a little bit of like a new year, new me and what we love the old Caroline. I mean, we might love the new one too, but it's just like, I hope she's not a little too hopped up on herself. Um, that's like yeah. one concern. Um, also, what was her company gifting sweet gifting? Do you remember what I'm talking about? She had a she had a yeah gifting company that folded during Ladies of London's run. I so love I don't really know what she does now. <laughs> don't know what she does, but also just I love the idea that she like opened a company that like was centered around gifting, but it's like any product can be gifted. Like it's not like you need to make <laughs> this so bizarre. Like, but God bless her. Um and I and I loved all of that drama. And I loved how like contained that drama was on Ladies of London. She had like a company of like 
because, you know, she's a multimillionaire, but she had a sort of company as like a side project with like, what, maybe 10 employees and it was imploding. And like, that was the drama. And I was like, that is fantastic. That's like, that's like the, the heightened level of drama that I crave from a housewives. So in that sense, I'm excited. I think that as we saw with Salt Lake City season one, um, or Potomac several years ago, we can build a new franchise from the ground up and it can work yeah. and it can be exciting. I think it's like, I'm I'm open to it. But as you pointed out, I think that there's sort of somewhat of a conflict of interest in not only setting uh, a housewife city in Dubai, but in those promos, it's very clear that they are going to glorify the excess of Dubai. And they're really leaning into like that Beverly Hills quality of housewives, which is just like the real, like the pearly gates and everything. I think that's going to be a tough needle to thread for a lot of people that aren't even jazzed about this setting, let alone the glorification of it. And it's interesting too, I mean, maybe just as a, as someone who's not in the US who watches this very American franchise and has dipped into international editions, which are still growing and they're still doing, to see Bravo, I suppose, do their first show that's a housewife show that they've made that is also international. Do you think that Bravo will maybe dip into other countries or even co-produce shows in other territories? Do you think there's potential there? I hope so. I mean... Any, you know, Bravo fan that watches the international franchises know, knows that they can go toe-to-toe with the American franchises mm-hmm. without question. I mean, in many senses, Melbourne's uh, superior to a lot of the American franchises. Um, yeah. So, yes, I'm very open to it. The one thing that worries me, me in terms of just knowing, you know, how Bravo is, is sort of like leaning too hard into stereotypes around certain cultures um, yeah, that's one thing that worries me. So I think that the main thing is just, you know, getting a sense of who the production company is behind these shows. And, and yeah, but I mean, I certainly think that there are stories to tell. And I think one of the reasons why I think people really, you know, to, to talk about an American franchise, for instance, with Jersey is it's like, you get the impression of like what it means to live in New Jersey, you know? Yeah. And I think that like, yes, it's fun to see the New York lifestyle and the Beverly Hills and the she, she, she. But I think that people also sort of like just getting a sense of, you know, what it's like to live in these different places. I think that's one of the reasons why Real Housewives of Miami is so exciting because it has such a distinctive flavor. So I think one of the things that international franchises opens up besides new characters is sort of showcasing what it means to live in these different places and the subcultures that exist within these places. That to me is a real exciting opportunity. I just don't think Dubai is the place that needs to be the first one it's like i'm it's, i've i mean i've always been surprised that they didn't just retool ladies of london i mean i never understood why ladies of london wasn't a real housewives but it's like there yeah. are just so many opportunities to go to places even if you want to start big with a london or a paris you know um there's just so much opportunity there so i hope that this is a signal towards a larger trend which will move us towards more international franchises on bravo let's talk about this big news that like is now I guess no longer news but is still such an interesting conundrum for what I think maybe you agree with me is the best if not one of the best Housewives shows of course which is Housewives in New York so we know now we're gonna have two shows we're gonna have a refresh of the standard show and then we're getting a spin-off with I guess quote-unquote legacy cast members I'm just curious obviously how you feel about the news and before we get into who might return in terms of a reboot is there any kind of New York staple that you would quite like to see join 
they don't even have to be that famous like that might join this new version of the show mm. i mean i've always wanted wendy williams um uh, i know she's if you care <laughs> yeah. i know she's technically a new jersey girl but yeah, yeah. I, I still think that there's enough uh there's enough juice to to justify it um yeah so i've always wanted that i know she's you know said that she would not be interested but she is one yeah. for sure um Sherry Shepard is could be really fun. I sort of like the idea of like someone like Sherry coming on who has this new phase of their life beginning, you know, with Sherry yeah. starting her talk show. I think the idea of like someone that we know and love, but starting something new. Um, I think part of the fun thing about like someone like Camille coming on, even though we didn't know her, was that it was like she was beginning this journey with a, a distinct end of one chapter, beginning of a new one. I think that would be fun. Um, Kathy Lee Gifford is always someone that I am super oh, duper yeah. interested in checking in on. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that star power is the name of the game here, and there's a ton of it here. Um, and the good thing, too, is it's like a lot of these women are very connected um, to a lot of celebrities. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I would want someone older and someone a little bit in the sort of like Kim Fields sort of vein then I would mm -hmm. like some young, I, I'm not looking for them to turn the Real Housewives of New York into Vanderpump rules. Like I don't, I don't really want, I mean, I love, you know, Kristen Takeman for instance, but I don't want 10 of her. Um, yeah. So I want them to be like selective about that. But as far as the news itself, I mean, I am excited about it because as you said, like New York is the girl we had a really bad last season, but we can totally bounce back from that. I mean, Beverly Hills had several really bad seasons, but once we got a good one, we were kind of like, okay, we're good again. You know what I mean? I think that yeah. New York stings right now because we had a bad season and we haven't been able to move on to the next one. We've sort of been stuck in the bad one. And then there have been like a lot of negative things that have happened since, like, the reunion being canceled or, you know, Ebony did that fantastic interview with Kate Arthur and variety in which she sort of talked about her experiences of filming the show. And also just, you know, the fans have not been kind to Ebony on the whole. So there's just been a lot of yeah. darkness surrounding New York beyond, like that has, you know, permeated beyond this season and they haven't been able to sort of distract us with the shiny object that is like a new trailer or something. So I think that's definitely yeah. That's you know, not working to its advantage. So this news was just like exciting in that it was like a glimmer of like a future. Um, and I think I think it could totally work. My my not concern, but it's like I wish that news would have come with a little bit more heft, whether it would have been the announcement about the legacy cast or something but basically we've been waiting for months now and we basically just got the announcement of the new you know them splitting this into two franchises but no casting news no we don't even have a date with which cameras will go up on either franchise let alone a trailer or a premiere date like that but my big takeaway from it was that it's gonna be a while and like the the takeaway too was like it's like bravo is willing to wait a while to get it right which i understand but i also would like rather them throw paint at the wall right now and like give us something to watch and help help use our conversations on social media to sort of steer steer where it goes versus them just sort of waiting i don't want to wait 
Yeah, it's funny because in the Variety piece where Andy Cohn, I guess, revealed this news and went into detail about it, he did say effectively, oh, we're announcing this now to aid with our casting process because we want word out there. We want people to be like suggesting people and and for it to be known that we are retooling the main show. So in a way, I'm like, that's very clever because God only knows who, particularly someone as connected as Andy Cohn, who might have suggested to him that he could pass the production. But like, as you say, we as viewers are then A, waiting forever. And it does create a bit of, it does lead to this building of hype and expectation that if they're not careful, could really go against the newcomers because they already have this sense of, are you as funny, as interesting as these people? You know, and like, it's, it's an interesting dynamic to set up. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting. And again, it's like, there's so little known right now. Um, mm. And even with uh, with like the reboot, it's like, are we, is there the possibility that we could have an anchor housewife that someone like Ebony could stay on the reboot and they would retool around her? Is this an entirely new group of women? Um, it's just, it's it's all very interesting. I, I'm glad that they're doing Legacy, um, but then it's like, is Legacy eight episodes is late is legacy on peacock do do the two shows ever link up like i just i have a lot of questions and i don't get the sense that bravo knows the answer to a lot of them just yet no and that's probably why it's 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 an interesting proposition but a slightly like question mark inducing one as well in terms of the people who might come back i mean we mentioned jill and we've mentioned kristen Tateman in passing today like are there people that you feel are a must for the return or like what is your gut telling you about who you'd like to see come back i mean the biggest must return is kelly ben simone by far and that's because i had the privilege of co-hosting sarah galley's andy's girls several weeks ago in which kelly was a guest and Mm -hmm. i was so struck first of all she looks amazing which is not a qualifier for coming back to the show but like not for nothing but (laughs) i was so heartened by how she just remains so Kelly. Like it honestly, I I walked away from it like feeling like it was 2012 all over again, just because (laughs) it's like she felt preserved in ice in the best way possible. A little bit like self-aware, like willing to like laugh at herself, but then would have moments of being like, really self-reflective and 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 you know uh have really interesting things to say about her experience. But I just feel like Kelly is the one who Kelly reminds me of like Taylor Armstrong in the sense of like, I don't get the impression that like her life has radically changed as a result of this show. Like she still feels like she lives the same life that she lived before she came on. Like Kelly Mm -hmm. had a bizarre, you know, Kelly was doing step and repeats before housewives, right? Like she was brought on as a, as a name to housewives. So obviously Kelly, but honestly I would bring back every single person that's ever been on New York, save for Barbara and uh, Elise, <laughs> but I really don't okay. consider them. And maybe like, and not Brashawn. Um, But outside of that, like I even like, I mean, even Jen Gilbert to me, it's like, bring her back. There's, there's no one from Roni seasons one through 10 that I do not think could have a place on this show. Where do you stand with, because I don't know how I feel about this, and I feel a degree of, we mentioned Ebby, and I, I feel this way for her to a small bit, and not in a patronizing way, but I feel bad for somebody like Leah, who had one very strong season, one not so great season, and it was obviously part of the established original show, but like, where do we place her now? Because I don't see her joining this refresh show, because like that would feel a bit awkward, but I also don't know if she would maybe want to be part of the legacy show, and she doesn't need it, she's got other stuff going on, but 
what do you think about where you'd place Leah in this mix? I would not place Leah in this mix only because I think that Leah came onto the show a little too, I've got a business that I'm trying to make happen. And I prefer someone that like has a life that's currently being lived. And it just so happens that we're going to get cameras up and film what's going on. It just like, I didn't find, I, and even when she came back for the second season and we did the conversion to Judaism, which felt very like, let's, what's your plot for this season going to be, Leah? Whereas you mm-hmm. look at like the classic moments of New York, uh, take for instance, everything that happened with Lou and Tom. And it's like, Lou didn't sit down with production and say, I'm going to get together with Ramona's ex-boyfriend <laughs> and we're going to get engaged. And then Bethany is going to discover him making out <laughs> with another woman at the Regency. And then we'll go on a trip and like, all of the stuff that happened that that was not prescribed in any way. And so with Leah, it, it tends to feel prescribed, but in her defense, I don't dislike Leah or Ebony. I just don't think either of them make good real housewives of New York, but that's not necessarily like, a knock at their character or a knock at their interestingness. It's just that this is a very specific kind of woman that works on this show. And I felt like neither of them had it. And also I think it's a tall order to say that like Ebony is meant to represent the integration of black women on Real Housewives of New York. That's not fair to Ebony. Um, I think a lot of people put this expectation on Ebony to come in here and fix a quote unquote problem. And it's like, I've always been of the mindset of like, New York, like no one walks away from watching Real Housewives of New York and is like, wow, these are great women that represent the wholeness of the city of New York. That's like no, never yeah. been the takeaway. So I, I, first of all, I'm all about, you know, uh, making these shows less white, but I don't think adding a black woman that does not have intrinsic connections to this group into the mix of Real Housewives of New York is doing anything to solve Bravo's larger problem. Like that to me was a real mistake because I think that New York in particular, like these women, I mean, all due respect to them, but like they make themselves look like clowns often. So I don't think yeah. that there's like the, <laughs> I don't think anyone's looking for like equal representation um, when it comes to the behavior of the women specifically in the Real Housewives of New York. Yeah, that's a good point actually. Um, You've obviously just released this very successful and acclaimed book about Buffy and its impact in pop culture and a big part of that book and I suppose even just the conversations you've been having in the press leading up to its release has been about the fandom around the show and that includes famous fans like Cynthia Revo and Stacey Abrams and many more people aside from the cast members you spoke to. I I always thought as someone who kind of grew up with Buffy um, and I suppose the early days of the internet that shows like Buffy and the X-Files really pioneered a certain kind of very online fandom and now in the present day the Housewives fandom is incredibly online and I was just curious do you think that like the sort of how the internet shaped fandoms for kind of genre shows like Buffy has maybe bled down into pop culture or even reality shows which you don't see as a kind of a nerdy pursuit even they have a kind of a fandom that is in the same vein as what we associate with genre shows totally I think what's interesting there's a lot of similarities and I definitely think it was definitely spawned from shows like the X-Files and Buffy because, mm-hmm. you know, they really popularized message boards, which was yes. the first opportunities for fans to connect with one another and create mm-hmm. 
friendships, relationships, uh, you know, write fan fiction together. It, it, yeah. it created the essentially like the multiverse for these shows that existed, mm -hmm. you know, besides the half an hour or hour of the show. A big difference, though, and why um, I think Housewives can get a, the fandom can get a little bit more toxic is because we're talking about real people. And whereas yes. with a show like Buffy, I think often, not always, but often fans were able to delineate the fact that this was not real life. This was supernatural and this was scripted and these mm -hmm. were actors and whatnot. So I think one of the differences is how much um, people feel that they can speak about housewives like they are characters. That said, sometimes, like in the case of Rinna, I do feel like they are playing a character version of themselves. So like mm -hmm. the line gets kind of uh, blurry as far as all of that goes. Like I definitely, like I, I don't think that the Lisa Rinna on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is the Lisa Rinna that I know, but I also like respect that. And I also think that it's like, there's a level of like, intelligence that comes in recognizing that in order to be on a show like this, you actually have to sort of separate, you know, who mm. you are from the person you're going to be on the show. Um, but I definitely think that Buffy and those shows really popularized this idea of extending the show beyond the 45 minutes. And I think the reason why we're still talking about shows like Buffy today or like Twin Peaks or like X-Files, et cetera, is because these fans were able to commune with one another about the show and hash out their feelings and create, you know, ships. Shipping is really popular today, like relationship shipping on television. But I really think that like Buffy, I don't, I don't want to say it was the first show, but it was definitely one of the first shows in which you had this fan base that were like ardently are you team Buffy and Angel? Are you team Buffy and Spike? And it fueled so many conversations by it's like, which side do you stand on? And it's like, it, it sort of created this like, um, uh, you know, existence within the fandom where it was like, you know, wh where do you stand within the fandom, right? You're not just a fan of Buffy. Are you a fan of Buffy versus Angel or yes. Buffy versus Spike? And then some people would come in and say, well, I'm Buffy versus Riley, or I like Buffy single. Or I like Buffy with Parker, the guy she had the one night stand with at the beginning of season four. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. There, th so I think that aspect and like the opening up of the show and the placement of yourself within all of it, right? So it was it was not just about loving the show. It was where do I stand on this aspect of the show, whether it be shipping one thing or whatnot. That is is so unique, but it's something that possesses is is, is within Buffy and with Housewives and with so many shows. And I think shows like. Housewives is a great example. Drag Race is another one where it's like, yeah. they don't get, especially Drag Race, Drag Race does not get huge ratings. Not like it, it, not at all, but it is propelled by the conversations and the fandom around it and like the fervency and the adamacy of this adamacy, the adamant nature is what I'm getting at. I'm like making up words mm -hmm. here, but like it, it's fueled by having this fan base that is so dedicated and I think that's something that is so unique. Whereas like you have shows like, you know, you look at CBS's roster and it's like, that's the most watched television is like these CBS procedurals, but no one's yeah, talking like about them. Exactly. Blue NCIS, yeah. Blue Bloods, anything David Boreanaz is associated with. Um, <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, <laughs> there's not conversation being fueled. There's not fandom. And so I think there's two kinds of, there's, you know, not just two, rather. There's a lot of different ways in which we can, you know, measure success of a television show. Um, but I think Buffy is an example of, like, Buffy never had huge ratings, but it yes. had cultural impact and it had conversation. That's so true. And actually, I remember even being a fan at the time, that was something that stood out to me, that it was a show that, like, 
in i mean funny look at his ratings now from it's run and it would it looks like bigger than most shows that air now but in context it was always a small scale show but as you say the audience propelled it and there's maybe a comparison and it's just dawning on me as we talk like Buffy was a show about a young woman and it's centered and there's obviously as you get into your book and, and the fandom have discussed there's been problems about the guy who made the show in the first place but like the core of what drew so many of us to it was it was a show about a young woman I suppose being self-actualized finding her destiny it had strong female characters as cliche as that phrase has become and the housewives has often been painted as a show that has given women of a certain age a space in pop culture that they've not always had like there is that sense of we want to see shows about interesting women and when we do get them we become so engaged and obsessed because we don't always get it as well oh absolutely and it's like we become engaged and obsessed and then we want more and then we start to like critique them and pick them apart but i think a <laughs> yes. lot of that is like i think the root of all of that is it's like we and i and I, I guess maybe i'm talking we housewives fans maybe we drag race fans maybe we queer people who knows but i think like when we love something so much we tend to start to and especially because of the behavior of being online and how how people operate yes. on the internet criticism is often seen as well for someone that loves this thing you sure do, sure do talk a lot of shit about it and it's like no I, I do really love it and I, I yeah. criticize it because <laughs> I love it so much. It's like, you know, you look at how many people, for instance, it's become very popular to like hate Ramona um, or hate Vicky on the internet. And it's like, don't get me wrong. I do hate them both, but like, I love to hate them. Like it is fun to dunk yeah. on Ramona. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, in a, on a slightly lighter note, I know you had a big launch of the book in the US recently and I know Margaret, was it? no, Dorinda was there. Yes. And I'm just curious, are there any... Because you've you've dealt with a lot of housewives, both personally, professionally, whatever, over the years. Are there any real housewives who are fans of Buffy that we know of? Well, so funny enough, Margaret used to work with Sarah Michelle Gellar's dad back oh in God. New York City. <laughs> I ran into Margaret uh, at Watch What Happens Live. Um, not yes, long of course, ago, of course. And she mentioned that to me. So she actually knew Sarah's dad, who's not a part of Sarah's life at all, and was not a part oh, of her life at yes. the time either. So, so that's the the one connection that I, connection that I know of. Outside of that, I don't know of any housewives that are Buffy fans, but I do think they're sort of. Buffy is either you watched it when you were growing up, so a lot of like thirty somethings. Um, yep. I that's just me. don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I tend not to run into a lot of like older fans unless they were seeking out genre shows um, or yes. someone who like heard that Buffy was like the kind of show that they needed to go and watch now. But I also don't think housewives in general tend to be big culture vultures. Um, so yeah. it doesn't surprise me, but no, I did not. I know Rinna has not seen it. However, Rinna does know Sarah Michelle Gellar just from being a part of the soap opera circuit in the nineties. Yeah. But outside of that, I mean, I would love, uh, I would love to sit Dorinda down and, and show her buff. Maybe <laughs> I will one day. I think that could be a stunning weekend at Bluestone Manor. You, you line up like the greatest hits of Buffy and you just give Dorinda like Mainline a three day crash course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love a it. Different one. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll look forward to that happening in the future. Um, when you were on the podcast before, I asked you about names from Buffy like Charisma Carpenter and Sarah Michelle, Sarah Michelle Gellar and whether they'd ever do the shows. And you very politely were like, I don't think that's in their future, which I understand. But let's go Galaxy Brain for just a second. If we could, if are there any characters from Buffy, like characters from the show that you think would make great Real Housewives? Because I can think of one or two, but I'm curious what you would think. Well, definitely Anya. 
I feel like yes. Anya absolutely <laughs> has Housewives yeah. energy and I would really enjoy because I think she has that, you know, we were speaking earlier about that kooky quality and it's like yeah. Anya is definitely someone who I just think her background of like, I used to be a vengeance demon and now I'm a human being stuck on this earth. <laughs> like the that tagline. is the perfect, <laughs> exactly, right? Like that is the perfect <laughs> recipe for Housewives. And also just the idea of like, she, you know, we, we, we joke a lot about how these women seem like Martians and it's like, no, Anya's actually like a Martian. So it's like, <laughs> I think that would be a very, very fun dynamic. And then I think Faith would be a fun, just sort of huge ball buster to show up and just yeah. like get the women together. Like, I feel like Faith might have like that sort of like Monique and Potomac energy of just being like, she comes along and it's like she rocks all of their worlds and like I, I would definitely be And actually weirdly now that you've mentioned Faith, part of me is like, what's Eliza Jushku doing? Let's do like the Royal Housewives of Boston. I said that all. You know, I tried to get her for the book, couldn't get anything. Then I had Sarah Michelle Geller reach out to her and her response to Sarah Michelle Geller over text was, I'm retired. Oh so damn. okay. I think it's a, if I were to speculate, I think that uh, and, and she's gone on the record about this, but I think she had a tough go. Not tough, that's an understatement. I think that she had experiences in this industry um, throughout her life, not having to do with Buffy, um, that made this just not uh, the kind of industry she wanted to stay a part of. And I also think like she met a husband, uh, had kids, and has a life outside of Hollywood that yeah. makes her really happy. And so it's sort of like, I just don't think... Um, this is something that she, I mean, I don't think, I don't have to think, I know. It, we get the sense looking at her projects in the works. I just don't think she enjoyed being an actress. And I think for reasons that were not even in her control. That's true. That's true. Anyway, I don't want to, I could, I could do a whole entire Buffy themed episode. So I'm trying to contain myself. <laughs> um, obviously we did this before, before when you were on the last time, but a lot of time has passed. So I feel like there could be an update we could do here. If you were doing a housewives tagline for 2022, what would it be and why? Oh my God. Housewives <laughs> Highline 2022. Honestly, this is so unoriginal, but it would just be something along the lines of just like, I'm tired. <laughs> and that would be it. You know what I mean? Or maybe like I could the, maybe I could yeah. tack onto it like, I'm here, I'm queer, I'm tired. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I was gonna say something like, I wrote the buff book on Buffy and I can slay or something. I, I know. Like, well, totally... I, there, there definitely is. <laughs> wait, there's definitely something to be done with slay, but I just feel like my energy is yeah. like not very slay. Um, yeah, there's definitely <laughs> that feels definitely intrinsic to. Um, if I were to like develop some sort of tagline, it would have to integrate Buffy in some way. I quite like. I'm here. I'm queer, and I'm exhausted. That I'm could exhausted. be. I mean, Ooh, that, I like that. that. But I will yeah, say, I, so Sarah Michelle Geller is is friends with Garcelle in real life. If you saw Garcelle's yes. Instagram post promoting her book, you will see a cameo by Sarah Michelle Geller. And then also Sarah, her kids go to school with Crystal's kids and they are part of, um, they're both on the PTA together and are part of a carpool situation. So I don't think wow. we'll ever get Sarah Michelle Geller on Housewives, but there is a world in which we got like a scene with Sarah Michelle Geller, which I remain I would love that. optimistic. A cameo. Like the way Jamie Lee popped up in Kyle's exactly, years ago. Exactly, exactly. That's what we need. I mean, it's funny because when you were talking about the age of Housewives, like as in most of them are of a certain age, actually in my head I was like, I feel like maybe Crystal watched Buffy back in the day. In my head I was like, I could see Crystal. You're maybe right. Crystal. You're absolutely she was on the WB. I don't know. <laughs> right. And also she's like, her and Leah sort of are that like in between generation of like, I think that they're like contemporaries of Sarah Michelle Gellar's more than they are. Like they're basically yes. daughters of a lot of the housewives. So yeah, you're totally right. 
Okay, interesting. And speaking of questions we've asked before that we'll do again, you're you're having a dinner party tomorrow. You can invite five people from Housewives World. As always, it can be friends of, hangers on, husbands, whoever. What five people are coming around to Evans for a little bit of food and why? Oh my God. Wait, so five people. Yeah, and you got French with some of these people, so you're going to have to like... <laughs> okay, <laughs> <You're> so like, <laughs> I'm definitely having Alex McCord because there's yes, of so course. many questions I want to ask her and there's so much to catch up on. And I have yeah. so much respect for someone that like, was part of this hamster wheel and was like, I want off of it. I like, I think that's, there's a lot of like dignity to mm-hmm. Alex McCord. Um, and I just would love like her retrospective perspective on like things that went down, whether it be from her. And also I just would love like her thoughts on the show since and Bravo and all of yeah. that stuff. So definitely Alex definitely need Karen Huger because she's my favorite current housewife. Um, mm-hmm. definitely need Nene Leakes because I think she's the most important housewife of all time. And I would love to use that opportunity to chat with Nene, you know, on the side of the room, just her and I, and see if there's any way in which her and Andrew can hash out their beef together. Because I feel like we want Nene back on Atlanta. I think she is open to the idea, but would need to mend fences with you know some of the bridges that were burned and so mm-hmm. i would want to pep talk her in any way that i could so that is three let's get a husband in the mix here okay let's think 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 oh let's actually let's get martina navratilova um okay. let's get uh, you're like let's get a husband <laughs> you name the one high profile house wife wife <laughs> Well, like, wait, but what, like, I need what, some male what energy. Is nomenclature <laughs> of like, what do we call her? She's like, is it housewife wife? I quite like housewife wife. I mean, that's not the worst, but I, in the, in the, is it milieu, whatever the term is of housewife, she is technically a husband. So I understand. I just love the, I wasn't expecting that name. <laughs> well, cause in my head, I was like bopping around to the various cities. <laughs> yes. And I was works. like, yeah. So <laughs> we'll take Martina. I like that idea. Definitely her. And then for my fifth and final spot. I'm th- I'm just I'm cycling through. I I'm good on New York. Oh. I think I would love to get Caroline Manzo at the table. So uh, so uh, you know, you're probably getting the sense it's like I'm more OG focused, but I definitely yeah. want to get Caroline. Um there's so much I'd want to rehash, but particularly there's the anecdote that was shared in Dave Quinn's book about their trip to I believe it was Mexico at one point with like the full yes. cast and and several of the of the kids getting detained in Mexico and them being held up there and Bravo having to intervene and that was that I think was the anecdote within the book that I was the most sort of like oh my god so I would love yeah, to yeah, chat yeah. with Caroline about that you mentioned there Nini's importance to the franchise and also as we've been chatting I've noticed you've mentioned Bethany a lot and I find it so funny because of the shows, I feel like they're the two names that bubble up the most. And some people are very like, Bethany is the most successful, the most influential. And some people would argue that Nini is. And obviously, in reality, there's room for everyone. But I'm curious, of the two, do you think that's there's one that's slightly ahead of the other in that yes, conversation? Yes, it's definitely Nini. And, that, and, and I can easily defend why. I think that if you look at all of the iconic moments that both of them have... A lot of yeah. Bethany's iconic moments are things that happened in the room that she was present for. Whereas Nini, I think, created a lot of iconic moments. When you think about, like, for instance, Bethany on the bridge, 
with on the Brooklyn Bridge with Ramona, that was Ramona and Bethany was the person receiving that. Um, or um, I, I, I just so many of the moments I think are just Bethany reacting. Um, and don't yes. get me wrong, she's a great reactor, but I just think Nini yeah. was way more of an instigator in the best way. And I also think that Nini, when it comes to who was able to be more interesting on their own, I think Nini definitely delivered more. I mean, Bethany was at her worst when it was like Bethany trying to like, you know, right, yeah. unpack at her new apartment or, you know. I was going to, she was going to say, oh, another apartment you're trying to get. Yeah, I don't really care. Because she's homeless. <laughs> um, right. So I, de- I definitely think Nini's more iconic. I think that Bethany was able to translate housewives success into a business more successfully as is as is known but i think that nini is the reason why housewives is what it is i would agree and i think you've actually that is a great way of putting it in terms of creating versus reacting i know that you're watching everything that airs i know that we've got big shows coming down the pipe but in terms of like your housewives viewing habits or journey is there a show you're like planning to rewatch or one in particular that you're excited to dive into Mm. so i'm always sort of like in a rewatch. So currently I'm watching yeah. Real Housewives of Orange County season nine, um, mm-hmm. which I really, I actually slowly watched Orange County from the beginning. And it's so funny because I love like middle Orange County so much. And it's funny mm-hmm. how different, I mean, I guess it makes sense because it's a completely different cast now, but it's funny how much that show has just like morphed over time. Um, it's just incredible. Also, it's like, it's the only Housewives franchise, I believe, I'm thinking out loud right now. Yes, it's the only Housewives franchise without any OG around whatsoever. So it's like, mm-hmm. most times you watch, you know, for instance, with New York, you can watch season one and the latest season and there's still going to be a Staples or with Beverly Hills, it's like you got Kyle through and through. With Orange County, it's yeah. just two completely different shows. So really enjoying that. And then I've been rewatching New Jersey season five um, mm-hmm. and really enjoying Kathy Wakili, who I know fell off a cliff in real life. Not not literally, but just like in terms of <laughs> the metaphorical cliff. Yeah, the metaphorical cliff. <laughs> You're like breaking that story. I'm sad. To right. <laughs> I wouldn't be sad. Um, but I really enjoyed watching that dynamic and also just like Kathy being like so desperate to like be on this show. But like not quite finding her groove. I don't know. I really just enjoy Kathy Wakili. Okay, well, that's that's an interesting kind of uh, back catalog that you're making your way through. Before we go, we've mentioned Buffy a little bit, but and I mentioned the book at the top of this chat, but just for people who maybe, because it is now out here in Ireland and the UK, as well as in the US, what can you tell us about the book and um, and, and the I suppose the story behind it? Yeah, so the book is, I, I bill it as part oral history, part critical analysis, part fan mm-hmm. notes. And it kind of is all three. If you're looking for like the oral history of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it is in this book, but it is highly, not subjective, but I infuse my own perspective quite a bit. So if you look at the reviews on Reddit from like Buffy super fans, they're like, why is he always inserting himself? And it's like, well, because <laughs> that's, that's the point, that's, Yolanda. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> um, but it includes interviews with the cast of the show, as well as the creatives, and then fans of the show like Cece Abrams, Cynthia Erivo, friends of the cast like Selma Blair and Lee Pace. And it basically is just... Um, it is a celebration of the show. It's a look back at why this show remains something being talked about 25 years later. 
However, mm-hmm. it's also a look at some of the ways in which the show comes up short. For instance, the overwhelming whiteness of the cast and the writer's room, um, or just sort of this idea of how do we reconcile this show being you know, considered in so many ways a feminist masterpiece while also having to contend with the idea that the creator of the show has been accused by so many women of all kinds of stuff. You can Google that. Um, So I wanted the book to sort of grapple. And it actually, it ties back to what we were talking about earlier, this idea of I'm critical of something because I love it. And I think that's how I've always sort of felt about Buffy, but even more now with everything that's come to light in the last couple of years. But it's like, I wanted to write something that was celebrating this thing I love while also taking it to task and saying, I can still love this thing while recognizing while recognizing a lot of shortcomings. So I think it is, it's many things. I think part of the reason why I wanted to write it was it was like, I knew it wasn't going to be, um, you know, uh, 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 just an oral history. And I also knew that like, I am extremely biased. Anytime I was doing an interview and someone would say something not negative about Sarah, but like something that was like, you know, for instance, you know, she showed up to Seth that day and she was really cranky. I immediately was like, I'm a, that's not going in this book. Like I, I have an agenda (laughs) and it is to spread the gospel of Sarah Michelle Gellar. And I'm very explicit (laughs) about that. So it's like, this is not a book that it's just, if you're looking for like an academic, what, you know, uh, behind the scenes of Buffy. This this contains that, um, but it is not wholly that. It is also very much uh, a celebration of Sarah Michelle Gellar and an effort to put more respect on her name. Which is something you do even on your podcast. Shut up, Evan. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so we are currently in season three. We just had Simone, the current reigning, for a couple more weeks of RuPaul's Drag Race on the show. We have some really exciting upcoming guests, which I'll break to you now. We have Christina Ricci is coming on the show. We have Molly Shannon coming on the show. We have Christine and the Queens coming on the show. Oh my um, God. So there are a ton of exciting Jesus. guests, including maybe the star of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I'm really, really excited for this season to continue. We have um, a famous, very famous singer who might have cameoed uh, on episode five of Shut Up, Evan. Uh, so there's, I think I know who that is. Yeah, so there are some <laughs> really, really exciting guests, and I've been really like uh, blessed to wow. kind of scale the podcast up. Um, but yeah, it's a yeah. chat show where I interview celebrities, often LGBTQ plus people or you know friends of the community, um, and we basically you know we deep dive about their lives. But I also try and just find areas of interest within pop culture that we're both aligned on. So for instance, when Cynthia Erivo was on recently, we chatted about Che Diaz and, and just like that. So I kind of try and build out people as being more than just who they are, but also, you know, what they think about the world and, and, you know, viewpoints that they have outside of just the work that they create. So it's uh, the effort is to sort of like fully realize who these people are outside of just, you know, Cynthia Erivo comma actor, it's more Cynthia Erivo human being. And what's that human being like? Yes, exactly. I mean, obviously you're one of my favorite interviewers, but then that's the guest list of guest lists. And I'm sure that's only, you've only scratched the surface of what's coming. So people can get that wherever they get their podcasts. And if people want to find you online, I mean, I'm sure they know you're on Instagram, but you're kind of back on Twitter. I've, I've noticed <laughs> she's returned to the Twitter world. A little bit. I'm trying to... I dip my toe in like a little bit because I'm still very scared of Twitter. Um, <laughs> but so I try and like, if I make a meme that I think is like, that can't be like, that there's no way that it could be misconstrued or something. I feel a little bit comfortable. But also like yesterday I was like, I posted the Rihanna Vogue and then I was like, you know what? 
everyone is posting the Rihanna Vogue. Like, I don't need to be another voice in the chorus. So I'm yeah. trying to be more thoughtful about my approach to it. But yes, I am dabbling a little bit. <laughs> so that's at Evan Ross Katz at Evan on Ross Instagram Katz, and yes. Twitter if people want to find you. Listen, Evan, I could do another two hours on How's Always Buffy. I, I honestly think maybe you should write the Sex and the City and just like that version oh of the Buffy book. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I would <laughs> do it. More work to if do. I could get Kim Cattrall, <laughs> I would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, God. That's fabulous. That's what we need. We need the Kim Cattrall <laughs> interview. Um, listen, Evan, I could talk to you all day. I'm so excited the book is out here for people to check out. And obviously, the podcast is a must listen. Thank you very much for coming back on Housewives and Me. Thank you so much. And can I just say, I am a religious listener to this show. I love the way that you talk about Housewives. I love the sound of your voice. I love following you oh, on social. You. I just love everything about you. And it's an honor to be here. Well, that is a huge comment. I love the way Americans just compliment everybody. It's something we are. She will need to pick up on. Evan, thank you very much. Thank you. There you have it. Evan Ross Katz here on Housewives and Me. His book, Into Every Generation, A Slayer is Born, is available now wherever you get your books. I'll put some links to where you can get it in the show notes for this episode. Of course, you can also check out Evan's podcast, Shut Up, Evan which has an amazing guesses already. And you would have heard the names he teased at the end of the interview there. There's even more big names coming. So I'm very excited to uh, check out more new episodes of that as they come. I'll put links to listen to that show in the show notes as well. And of course, you can follow Evan on Instagram and Twitter also. If you liked what you heard today and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating or a review. It really helps the show find new listeners. You can follow the show or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find this show on social media at Housewives and Me on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, it's Connor Bean, on both those places as well. Of course, new episodes coming every Tuesday. So do subscribe or follow so you never miss a single moment. There are more great guests and more great chats coming your way in the next weeks. I'm very excited. So until next time, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe and I'll talk to you soon.